know war is to know that there is still madness in this world. There are poor to be lifted up, and there are cities to be built, and there's a world to be helped. Yet, we do what we must. I am hopeful, and I will try with best I can with everything I've got to end this battle and to return our sons to their desires. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read of the freedom of press, somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we proved once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. This is the Random History Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Van Dyke, and you can reach us on Twitter or at our website, randomhistorypodcast.com. Hi, and hello there. Hey, uh, really sorry it's been a while since I posted a new episode. So, a couple fun things in my life. Um, I was laid off from my job. Hey, go COVID. Uh, This pandemic's really working out for a lot of us. Uh, Fortunately, though, I was able to find work. Uh, Again, however, the bad news was is I ended up having to pick up my family and move from Chicago to Cleveland. So, that sucked. But I was able to occupy my time making some money building uh, mobile applications and uh, web applications and such for a variety of nonprofits and charities, uh, as well as I even uh, co-founded a new business, raising Opportunity Zone funds for uh, businesses and qualified Opportunity Zones. So kind of a nice little way I can uh, still help my uh, beloved adopted city of Flint, Michigan. Even though I wasn't able to find work there, I was really hoping to move back uh, home there, but unfortunately that didn't work out. But one of the things I did do uh, with after I became gainfully employed again is I was like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy some new equipment for podcasting because that's what responsible people do after a long term after long term unemployment, right? You go out and buy a fancy new microphone, maybe a preamp mixer, you know, all the cool stuff because you're responsible. Well, I'm saying you are. Clearly, I'm not. Uh, but I think I pretty well covered that by now. So it shouldn't actually be much of a shock. Now, uh, back to the point here. So I've been researching for the next few episodes to get finished up. Uh, I know at this point you're like, my God, how long can this guy actually keep creating episodes surrounding the subject of the polar bear expedition? And yet not actually address the polar bear expedition. I know you're impressed by my ability to avoid the obvious subject I've promised to cover. Uh, However, I think it's actually about time I got to that. So while I've been finishing up on some of the terrific books that I've found, uh, these great primary source books, um, I did notice one thing, which was, you know, these were all really rushed towards the end of these individuals' lives. So a lot of these books were finished in the 70s and early 80s as these individuals passed on. And while that's terrific that they were able to get out their memories and all this great stuff, and we have all this terrific primary source material uh, we wouldn't have had before, I did notice in one of the books they referenced something called the Aid Memoir. 
And I was really having some difficulties finding that primary source of it itself without it being, you know, just as copied in another book. I wanted to find it as originally issued by the State Department. And during that search, uh, I found something really interesting that the telegrams sent by the American ambassador in Russia have recently become declassified and available on the State Department's website. Now, with that being said, it's incredibly difficult to find, and searching it is not easy because they really just want it to be a series of images you have to read without OCR text, but you can click on links that kind of tell you what should be in that telegram. And Anyway, it was a horrible thing. But as I started reading it, I found just way more uh, in-depth information that really adds some great texture to what it is to talk about. So that's kind of delayed me as I've been putting together the final uh, a couple episodes here and, and how I want to lay it out and, uh, to put that story together for you. So I apologize. And you notice like even right now I'm rambling as opposed to getting to the point, um, which has kind of been apparently what I do. But anyway, so what I do want to do today though is I want to read that aid memoir. I think that it's very important. You know, the U.S. enters the war on April 6, 1917, but yet, for some reason, uh, President Wilson through the State Department feels it's very necessary by July 17th to be like, uh, of 1918, to be like, all right, guys, look, this is what we're actually doing with the troops that arrive, okay? Let's not go crazy here. These are the things that we're going to do. Um, and, and part of that address is Russia. So it's, it's rather precedent to what it is we're talking about. So I thought that uh, I would read it in its entirety. So here it is. Without further ado, the Ed Memoir. The whole heart of the people of the United States is in winning this war. The controlling purpose of the government of the United States is to do everything that is necessary and effective to win it. It wishes to cooperate in every practicable way for the, with the allied governments and to cooperate ungrudgingly, for it has no ends of its own to serve, and believes that the war can only be won by common counsel and intimate concert of action. It is sought to study every proposed policy or action in which its cooperation has been asked, and has been asked in the spirit, and, and states the following conclusions in the confidence that it finds itself obliged to decline participation in any undertaking or course of action, it will be understood that it does so only because it deems itself precluded from participating by imperative considerations of either policy or fact. In full agreement with the Allied governments and upon unanimous advice of the Supreme War Council, the government of the United States adopted upon its entrance into the war, a plan for taking part in the fighting on the Western Front, into which all of its resources of men and material were to be put, and put as rapidly as possible. And it has carried out this plan with energy and success, pressing its execution more and more rapidly forward, and literally putting it, putting into it the entire energy and executive force of the nation. This was its response its very willing and hearty response to what was the unhesitating judgment alike of its own military advisors and of the advisors of the Allied governments it is now considering at the suggestion of the Supreme War Council. The possibility of making very considerable additions, even to this immense program, which, if they should prove feasible at all, will tax the industrial processes of the United States and the shipping facilities of the whole group of associated nations to the utmost. 
It has thus concentrated all of its plans and all of its resources upon this single, absolutely necessary objective. In such circumstances, it feels it to be its duty to say that it cannot, so long as the military situation on the Western Front remains critical, consent to break or slacken the force of its present effort by diverting part of its military force to other points or objectives. The United States is at a great distance from the field of action on the Western Front. It is at a much greater distance from any other field of action. The instrumentalities by which it is to handle its armies and its stores have at great cost and with great difficulty been created in France. They do not exist elsewhere. It is practicable for her to do a great deal in France. It is not practicable for her to do anything of importance on a large scale upon any other field. The American government, therefore, very respectfully requested its associates to accept its deliberate judgment that it should not dissipate its force by attempting important operations elsewhere. It regards the Italian front as closely coordinated with the Western Front, however, and is willing to divert a portion of its military forces from France to Italy if it is in the judgment and wish of the Supreme War Council that it should do so. It wishes to defer to the decision of the commander-in-chief in this matter, as it could wish to defer in all others, particularly because it considers these two fronts so related as they be practically but separate parts of a single line and because it would be necessary that any American troops sent to Italy should be subtracted from the number used in France and be actually transported across French territory from ports now used by the armies of the United States. It is the clear and fixed judgment of the government of the United States arrived at after repeated and very searching reconsiderations of the whole situation in Russia that military intervention there would add to the present sad confusion in Russia rather than cure it, injure her rather than help her, and that it would be of no advantage in the prosecution of our main design to win the war against Germany. It cannot, therefore, take part in any such intervention or sanction it in principle. Military intervention would, in its judgment, even supposing it to be efficacious in its immediate avowed object of delivering an attack upon Germany from the east, be merely a method of making use of Russia, not a method of serving her. Her people could not profit by it. If they profited by it at all, in time, to save them from their present distresses and their substance, be used to maintain foreign armies, not to reconstitute their own. Military action is admissible in Russia, as the government of the United States sees the circumstances, only to help the Czechoslovaks consolidate their forces and get into successful cooperation with their Slavic kinsmen, and to steady any efforts at self-government or self-defense in which the Russians themselves may be willing to accept assistance, whether from Vladivostok or from Murmansk or Archangel, the only legitimate object for which American allied troops can be employed, it submits 
is to guard military stores, which may be subsequently needed by Russian forces, and to render such aid as may be acceptable to the Russians in the organization of their own self-defense. For helping the Czechoslovaks, there is an immediate necessity and sufficient justification. Recent developments have made it evident that it is in the interest of what the Russian people themselves desire. And the government of the United States is glad to contribute the small force at its disposal for that purpose. It yields also to the judgment of the Supreme Command in the matter of establishing a small force at Murmansk to guard the military stores at Kola and to make it safe for Russian forces to come together in organized bodies in the north. But it owes it to Frank Council to say that it can go no further than these modest and experimental plans. It is not in a position and has no expectation of being in a position to take part in organized intervention and adequate force from either Vladivostok or Murmansk and Archangel. It feels it ought to add also that it will feel at liberty to use the few troops it can spare only for these purposes here stated and shall feel obliged to withdraw these forces in order to add them to the forces at the Western Front. If the plans whose execution is now intended that they should develop into others inconsistent with the policy to which the government of the United States feels constrained to restrict itself. At the same time, the government of the United States wishes to say with the utmost cordiality and goodwill that none of the conclusions here stated is meant to wear the least color of criticism of what other governments associated against Germany may think it wise to undertake. It wishes in no way to embarrass their choices of policy. All that is intended here is a perfectly frank and definite statement of policy which the United States feels obliged to adopt for herself and in the use of her own military forces. The government of the United States does not wish it to be understood that in so restricting its own activities, it is seeking, even by implication, to set limits to the action or define the policies of its associates. It hopes to carry out the plans for safeguarding the rear of the Czechoslovaks operating from Vladivostok in a way that will place it and keep it in close cooperation with a small military force like its own from Japan, and if necessary, from the other allies, and that it will assure it of the cordial accord of all the Allied powers. And it proposes to ask all associated in this course of action to unite in ensuring the people of Russia in the most public and solemn manner that none of the governments uniting in action in either Siberia or northern Russia contemplates any interference of any kind with the political sovereignty of Russia, any intervention in her internal affairs, or the impairment of her territorial integrity either now or hereafter, but that each of the associated powers has the single object of affording such aid as shall be acceptable, and only such aid as shall be acceptable to the Russian people in their endeavor to regain control of their own affairs, their own territory, and their own destiny. It is the hope 
and purpose of the government of the United States to take advantage of the earliest opportunity to send to Siberia a commission of merchants, agricultural experts, labor advisors, Red Cross representatives, and agents of the Young Men's Christian Association accustomed to organizing the best methods of spreading useful information and rendering educational help of a modest sort in order in some systemic manner to relieve the immediate economic necessities of the people there in every way from which opportunity may open. The execution of this plan will follow and will not be permitted to embarrass the military assistance rendered in the rear of the westward-moving forces of the Czechoslovaks. Issued by the Department of State, Washington, D.C., July 17, 1918. And that is the Aid Memoir. Soon, I will be posting another episode uh, as we finish up this series. I hope this uh, the aid memoir will provide a little bit of context to what this expedition is about to become. And in the end of the next episode, I promise you, the troops will finally arrive in Russia. <laughs>